You're listening to the Tranquility Tribe podcast, an empowering space for all parents from conception to childhood. In this podcast, you'll explore your birth options, hear from experts in the field, learn to embrace self-indulgence, and prepare yourself for parenthood with Haiti. She's a coffee connoisseur, lover of deep belly laughs, a big-time tailgater, and your neighborhood birth junkie. From Mississippi to Massachusetts and everywhere in between, here's your host, Hee. Hello, villagers! Happy, happy, happy Tuesday. How are you doing today? Mental health check-in. And I mean more than just, I'm good. How are you really doing when you check in with yourself? What's your body telling you? What's your gut telling you? Your nerves? Are you feeling anxious? Are you worried? Is something consuming your thoughts? Are you having pains and pressures? Should you be eating better? Do you need to be putting back into your cup? When's the last time you did self-care? I could go on and on and on. I won't. I'll spare you. But you know what you need to do. So mental health check-in. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. I love to serve you guys, and it means so much that you take the time out of your day to spend an hour or so with me gobbling up this delicious, juicy, juicy information that we're putting out. We appreciate it. It's it's not just me, you guys. It's a whole team, and by you showing up for us, you're also showing up for yourself, and that does not go unnoticed. So thank you very much. You are listening to episode number 99 of the Tranquility Tribe podcast. Do you need sex therapy? This year in 2019, I made a promise to myself and to the TBH community because of you guys, because you guys had so many requests to dive into topics that were either taboo or somewhat on the sidelines and the margins and maybe topics that not everyone felt super comfortable diving into. That's what you wanted, so that's what I'm delivering. Today I'm very excited to share with you Dr. Alex Chinks, a sex therapist. For over a decade, Alex has worked in the field of psychology and human sexuality, treating patients with female sexual pain disorders as well as successfully assisting individuals and couples with a wide range of sexual issues. As a licensed clinical psychologist, Alex has also experienced treating various mental health issues associated with sexual issues, including depression, anxiety, trauma, bipolar disorder, personality disorders, panic attacks, challenges with your body image, low self-esteem, and other mental illnesses. With each patient, Dr. Chink strives to understand and treat the whole person. Her approach not only targets her patient's sexual symptoms, but includes treatment of the repercussions that these symptoms have on an individual, like how it treats or how it affects their partner and their relationship. Additionally, Alex helps her patients address issues in their non-sexual spheres of their lives by combining her expertise in human sexuality, as well as her compassion and commitment to her patients. Alex has created a holistic approach to the treatment of sexual issues that resonates with her patients and with me. Today, Alex and I are going to be diving into sex during pregnancy and postpartum, whether you and your partner or maybe just you need sex therapy, how to talk to children about sex, and so much more. I cannot wait to share her knowledge with you. What do you say we get this show on the road? Alex, I'm feeling all the feels as we record this right now. Welcome to the show. 
Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my goodness. I am like over the moon to share all of the stuff that you know with our listeners. This is a topic that um, I have asked my listeners before. Do you guys want a sex therapist on the show? Because I could see both ways, right? I could see like, absolutely, where else am I going to get this information? And honestly, that's where I am. That is where I stand on the, on the fence, on the matter. So, but then you have people who are like, absolutely not. That is not the place. Like on a podcast, don't talk about that. And I see both sides. So I asked and it was an overwhelmingly, it was like 2% that was like, don't put it up there. So 90% of people of my people wanted you here. So I am totally stoked. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into the sex therapy world? Because I don't know if that's a job that most people like set out to be in life, like wake up and be like, I'm going to be a sex therapist. (laughs) Uh, I get asked that a lot. Yeah. So I actually, um, I don't know, from a very young age, I've always just been super comfortable around um, talking about sex and learning about sex and thinking about sex. And um, when I first entered college, I thought that I wanted to be an OBGYN. And I always imagined that I would be helping women in particular with their sexuality. And as I, you know, started my undergrad in psychology, I just fell in love with psychology, mental health, um, started learning more about sort of different mind-body issues. And I realized that I think, you know, that I could have a much more fulfilling career and be doing a lot more directly of what I really wanted to be doing as a psychologist and also as a sexologist. So um, after undergrad, I then went and did a master's in clinical sexology and then got my doctorate in clinical psychology. That's so cool. That's amazing. I love it. I always love how people got to their jobs because I find like that is something that is actually super unique to just that person, right? It's kind of like people's fingertips. I like those things. And there are a couple of them in life that you'll find that nobody else can be, you know, you can walk that exact path. And how you got to your career is always one of them for me. So let's, um, before we like dive totally into sex and what that looks like. Can we talk about stigmas for one second? Because this is, um, this is going to be an episode that listeners may feel all sorts of things. Like I imagine my mom is probably cringing and I picture my very supportive grandfather who tries to listen to all of my things kind of, um, stunned. Sorry, mom and granddad. (laughs) Talking about sex isn't always the easiest thing. And, um, you know, matter of fact, it's actually really shamed in certain places or ages or people or cultures or whatever it might be. And don't get me wrong. There are still times where I find myself tripping up, um, trying to say certain words or get certain phrases out of my mouth. But I have to remind myself and I keep in the forefront of my mind that if I don't talk about it, who will? Because that is how we got to this culture now of like, you know, rape culture and not really knowing about consent and not really having very productive sexual ed stuff in high school. So, you know, I have to just kind of remind myself. So what, what do you say about social stigmas? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's funny because I'm sort of on that opposite end of the spectrum where I wish, you know, with like the deepest, deepest part of my being that we all can just be a lot more sex positive, a lot more open about sex. Um, And that being said, you know, I myself, I'm still a product of the culture that we live in. And um, I did an Insta story recently where I was sort of, I think I previewed it by saying like, dad, please don't watch because I also feel that feeling of, you know, you don't want your parents. And um, my poor dad has come a long way with what I do. but, you know, I think that, you know, the, the crux of the matter is that talking about sex and being more open and talking to, you know, talking about it in our society, talking about it to our children and our teenagers, that's really the way kind of out of all the problematic stuff. You know, I mean, when you talk about rape culture or even things like the things that I see every day, like people coming in with sexual dysfunction or something as simple as, you know, difficulty communicating with their partner around sex Um, so much of that is rooted in the fact that we don't talk about it enough. Um, A lot of my sexual 
pain clients that come in, you know, they've come from their OBGYNs who didn't have an answer for them or who never asked them the questions even. I'm not saying all OBGYNs, obviously, but there are a few out there that, um, you know, don't really even take that time to ask. So I think, you know, for a long time, I think in our society, in our education system, we were worried that talking more about sex would actually lead to more promiscuous behavior, um, more teen pregnancy, that type of thing. And the fact is, is that the more you talk about it, all the studies have shown that, you know, actually the more um, healthier sexual practices appear, the, the less teen pregnancy there is. So I really feel that, you know, talking to our youth, especially being open with our children as parents is really the key to sort of changing the culture. No kidding. I mean, you know, the, the fact of the matter is here is that kids are having sex, right? So like you can talk about it with them or you don't have to, they're going to do it. So you might as well take the time to educate them on it, to tell them how to talk about it and how to process those feelings. Because I think a lot of teens probably jump in it and think that it doesn't have a lot of feelings and that is just not the case. There's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So kind of segueing into our next thing, you know, with all the stigmas and this uncharted territory, if you will, meaning that people don't really know how to navigate sex with kids. And, you know, as someone who has worked with kids for the last, my gosh, almost decade now. Um, I am a big advocate of teaching children to use, um, you know, the right language, the anatomical terms for their bodies. So sometimes, um, and this is a place of children that you, you know, you never want to think about ever happening to any child ever, but there are some dark places in childhood. And sometimes those kids, their only filter, their only protection are the people who see them every day. So maybe that is their um, early intervention, you know, person that goes into their house once a week. Maybe that's their teacher that sees them every day. And for these people who don't really know what's going on behind the behind the doors of that home, other than what that family will reveal to you, it's extremely important that children have the knowledge to talk about their bodies. So from a professional standpoint, can you talk to us about the importance of teaching our children the anatomical names for their body? And, you know, our listeners, I am talking about young children that y'all, like your babies, like from the very beginning, you should be saying vagina and penis, and, you know, you should be letting your baby know what their parts are called. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I can't stress this enough. I'm so with you 110% on this issue. Um, I'm a huge, huge proponent of, you know, speaking to children, giving them the language, giving them the appropriate words to use. Um, this idea, like you mentioned consent, and this idea of teaching children about consent from an early age, I feel it's a relatively new idea. Um, you know, much of the dialogue you know, 20, 30 years ago was really just about body parts and, you know, good touch, bad touch. And what do you do if someone has you know, touched you in an inappropriate way, to, you know, telling a trusted adult for help. Um, but the idea of consent really is like a seed that should be planted early, early on. And I agree that like using the appropriate terminology, the appropriate words for things is so, so important. Um, and, you know, of course, like, there are people, unfortunately, that are still super uncomfortable around it, but I think that that's just all part of pushing the dialogue forward and saying, well, I'm sorry if, you know, the fact that my child said that her vagina was itching her uh, made you uncomfortable, but we really like, you know, little so-and-so to, you know, know the appropriate words so that one day she can say. Um, and, you know, sort of going back to what we were just talking about, about sex ed, I really feel that by giving our children and giving our teenagers, you know, the appropriate language, um, the appropriate facts, what you're doing is you're sort of paving the way for them to have a healthy sex life as adults. And really, I, you know, I imagine that so many of the people that I see in my practice, I always ask them about childhood. And I'm always, you know, curious as to like, what was your sex education like? And what was the attitude 
in your home around sex and your body and masturbation, for example. Um, because really it does have an effect. And the earlier on that I think, you know, young people can start having healthy sex lives and healthy relationships with themselves as sexual beings, the better off they're going to be in the future. 100%. I mean, I think so much of what happens in our adulthood is rooted in our childhood, right? I think that's just kind of a really widely accepted thing now. And it is really wild to tease apart kind of where things come from, either in yourself or your you know, your clients or um, your friends or your family members. I mean, I kind of do it to probably everyone around me. Um, something that is a pillar in my practice is self-care. And, you know, I'm a big, a big advocate that it looks every, it looks different for everyone. So every body is going to have their things that relax them and ground them and center them. And I mentioned this because not being able to have sex either during pregnancy and or after having a baby can really affect people in different ways. And sometimes you do hear um, people say that that time with either themselves or their partners is the way of relaxing and connecting and grounding themselves. What are your thoughts about sex as a self-care act? I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. Um, I think, you know, again, like this all, you know, this whole conversation kind of all flows together in a way that, um, you know, I think if you have that positive, like sex positive view of yourself, that connection to your own body, um, you know, sex as self-care can be wonderful. Of course, you don't want sex to become um, sort of a substitute for confidence or a substitute for um, sort of that intimate connection with someone and kind of seeking it out as self-care in those, you know, less healthy ways. But I think as a, you know, as a general rule, um, I'm a huge proponent of sex as self-care. I think it's a wonderful outlet to have. I was chatting um, actually just last night with Amanda Huell with um, Parenting with a Punch. She is a parenting and communication strategist um, that goes into homes and helps you with the communication within your home. And um, she was actually speaking last night just about um, how many problems within families and communication wise um, can be fixed if the parents just set aside intentional time to like have sex with one another. Um, mm -hmm. And she, she says that it's something that they, they have to cover and they, you know, she just lays it out and says like, this is important. You should be doing it. Mm -hmm. So sex during pregnancy, I know that it's generally safe and I encourage my clients to continue to have sex unless for medical reasons they shouldn't, but I'm no expert on that. So what do you say to people who are questioning sex during pregnancy, the safety, the logistics, the sensations, all the things? Okay. Well, let me start off by saying this. I mean, one of the things um, that my clients hear me say all the time, and I really can't stress enough is it's so, so important to have as broad a repertoire as you can have sexually with yourself and with your partner. Um, the reason being is that, you know, we're, we're only human and we get sick and we get pregnant and we have babies and we get older. Um, and so as the lifespan changes and as you change and your experiences change, you really kind of need a very full menu of sexual options, if you will. So um, the first thing that I, you know, that I would want to say about the question of having sex when you're pregnant is number one, you know, sort of how broad can you go? And like, let's, you know, really, I think a couple or a woman should really try to expand her sexual options. I think if, you know, if you're only having that one type of sex where, you know, it's a certain time of day or night, um, in a particular room, in this bed, with the lights off, with, you know, this candle going and this song playing on the, on the radio, then it's very, very limiting. Because I'm sure, you know, as you probably know, fast forward to when you're, you know, 
quite pregnant and you might not be able to be in that one position or when there's a baby crying and trying to sleep in the next room, you might not be able to play that one song that you always play. So I think, you know, really having a very big repertoire is super, super important for everybody, pregnant, not pregnant, young, old. That's like one of the biggest things that I always say um, is to sort of broaden your idea of sex. It's not just intercourse. It's not just this one or two, you know, these one or two positions. Um, and I think that pregnancy is a really, really great time to do that broadening of the repertoire because your body is changing really rapidly. Um, it's a really great time. You know, many, many women feel that whether it's hormones or emotions, um, most, not most, sorry, but many women do find that they have an increased libido during pregnancy. They're super turned on. A lot of women will say, um, you know, that they're having these extremely vivid dreams, like very sexually charged dreams. Um, so it's a really wonderful time to be able to just sort of let go, explore some fantasies, explore different positions, um, and really figure out whether it's alone or with one's partner, um, you know, some different things that you, you know, that you can do. Um, that being said, not every woman feels, you know, prime of her life during pregnant, uh, sorry, during pregnancy. And that's another reason to broaden the repertoire because you have also a whole subset of women who feel completely lousy, who, you know, might be vomiting morning, noon, and night, and sex is the furthest thing from their minds. And it's, you know, all the more reason to, again, broaden out that repertoire and find other ways that you and your partner can connect, um, maybe not through intercourse or not through something physical, but that you could still be getting those sexual type feelings um, met with your partner. So yes, yes to sex during pregnancy. Yes to sex during pregnancy. That's what I like to hear. So there you go, folks. She said it, sex during pregnancy. So next up, postpartum sex. But before we dive into this topic, I want to just say, Alex and I are not your medical providers. This is not medical provide advice. We are just two experts in similar fields who are sharing information. I believe that you should be seen by a pelvic floor therapist after having a baby, even if it's just for a once over. Tranquility by Hehe is very intentional about the approach that we take for pelvic floor healing. Another thing about postpartum sex is you need to be cleared by your doctor before you start inserting things into your vagina. And that includes toys, fingers, penises, tampons, anything really. You want to make sure that you're healed down there. I promise you really do. Since this can be tricky and it looks different for everybody, what are your initial thoughts um, or advice for people looking to start to get back into sex after having a baby? Okay. First, I completely agree with you, Hehe, that um, pelvic floor physical therapy is just such a wonderful option out there. So number one, I'm a huge, huge fan. Um, and I th actually think that that's a great idea to, you know, voluntarily go and, and be seen. Um, hips can come out of whack during childbirth, like so much can happen. And I, I think that that's great. Um, yeah. So, you know, so as you mentioned, there's this um, period after you have your baby that has sort of been dubbed the six week wait. Um, so, you know, in a traditional sort of uh, Western medicine practice, you know, your doctor will want to see you six weeks postpartum and just, you know, give you a little checkup and uh, you kind of walk out of there with a little stamp of approval. Um, and, you know, I find that can be just so anxiety provoking that you're almost like on a timeline. So the first thing that I always say is throw out the timeline, forget the six week wait. However, as you mentioned, don't forget it in terms of, you know, giving yourself that time. There is a reason for it. It's to, you know, promote healing um, and also to reduce like risk of infection. So I agree, do not put anything in there during that time. But, um, so I think that, um, a couple things, the first thing is that the sex that you were having before the baby really can be an indicator of the sex that you can expect to have after the baby. Um, which again, brings me back to what I was just saying about, you know, making sure that you have a really broad repertoire of things that you can do. So whether that's masturbating, um, mutual masturbating with your partner, um, just sort of holding each other, kissing, having, you know, penetrative intercourse, having numerous positions lined up, 
there are certain positions that definitely um, feel a lot better postpartum and, and pregnant actually uh, for that matter than, you know, others. And so I think it's worth sort of experimenting and seeing, you know, a lot of women find like, um, like a lying on your side kind of spooning position to be really helpful. Um, and so I think that, you know, having that range of experiences before is really, really going to serve you well after. Um, really, you know, increasing intimacy with your partner beforehand, again, um, finding that space for exploring and looking for alternatives to the sex that you had been having, um, and really making sure that you have established a really nice comfort level talking about sex, what your needs are, what your wants are, what you enjoy, what you don't like, you know, you really do have to be an advocate for yourself. And, you know, when you sort of, um, you know, pardon the pun, but like get back in the saddle after having a baby, certain things that you used to enjoy might feel a bit uncomfortable, at least, you know, for the first couple of weeks. And I think it's important that you feel comfortable enough to be able to speak up and say, you know, hey, that kind of hurts, let's try this, or that doesn't, you know, that feels better. Um, you know, another point is it's completely okay not to want any sex after the six weeks. Um, it doesn't mean that it's never going to come back. Um, there's many, many things going on. You know, there's sort of where you're at, you and your partner, how supported you feel. There's obviously a new baby in the house. This baby might not be sleeping. This baby might, you know, want to eat every five minutes. Um, especially if you're nursing, that could be really tricky. Um, you're tired, all of those things, you know, even a lot of women will say, you know, I feel like I don't have any time to myself anymore. When am I supposed to masturbate? When are we supposed to have sex? Um, you know, every five seconds I'm changing a diaper or feeding or, you know, going to the pediatrician or doing a load of laundry. So, and that unfortunately is the reality for many, many, um, new mothers and new fathers as well. And then of course there's, you know, the physical element that might be leading to you not wanting to jump right in again after the six weeks. Um, you know, depending on how traumatic the birth was, again, both physically and emotionally, um, many women are not fully healed and ready to go after six weeks. It might take eight or nine weeks. Um, your estrogen is a little bit lower. Uh, you might not be lubricating as much. Um, the membranes in the vagina are a little bit thinner. So there's a lot of factors that, um, you know, really might be leading to you not feeling 100% yourself sexually after the six weeks. And again, that's perfectly okay. But again, I can't stress enough how nice it is to then have those alternatives. Um, the other point to mention is it's also, you know, it's okay to not want to have sex after the baby. It's also perfectly okay to really want to have sex after having a baby. Um, there's many, many, many women out there that actually feel that their desire has increased. Um, you know, studies have been done that show that many women start masturbating or start doing non-penetrative things such as oral sex, um, you know, before the six week wait, cause they, they don't want to wait. Um, and that's perfectly, perfectly normal. Um, in fact, a lot of studies have also shown that it's usually around three weeks out or four weeks out that your pre-baby sex drive um, sort of comes back up to where it was. So um, again, not for everyone because of all those other factors and you know what the baby, like sort of the more social factors um, that might be going on. But a lot of women do feel like, hey, my, you know, my sex drive is back and I'm like ready to go and yet I still have another three weeks to wait. So again, broaden that repertoire, have, you know, a lot on the menu um, so that you can sort of fulfill those sexual needs. And again, one of the biggest factors in having a high libido and a high level of sexual desire postpartum, again, are those feelings of intimacy and closeness with your partner. So I think that, you know, again, that just stresses that before baby comes to really be working on, you know, being close to your partner, and when I say intimacy, I don't necessarily mean physical intimacy. I mean, you know, being able to share with your partner things that you like, things that you don't like, um, taking risks with your partner, being playful, having fun, trying out new positions, trying um, different things. 
Those are all really amazing. One of my favorites is um, is nipple play, and I hear it a lot um, wearing my doula hat. So when when I'm working with expectant parents, right, and they're like, either my nipples feel really great or they feel really sensitive and it's like too much, which is, you know, it kind of goes back to what you were saying. It's different for everybody. Some women's body do this and some women's do that. But putting on my IFS hat or my infant feeding specialist hat, I hear it in the postpartum realm too, when it has to do with sex and people are still breastfeeding. So when people are still breastfeeding and you do sexual things, you have the potential to cause a letdown, right? And some people are really turned on by it. Some people are really turned off about it. Some people are really caught off guard and they had no idea that that could happen. Um, so I think, you know, nipple play is something that can be experimented with kind of all throughout too in order to, um, broaden that repertoire, that sexual toolbox of, you know, what you're talking about. That's a great point. And I think, you know, and again, that sort of harkens back to the level of intimacy and comfort that you feel with your partner, because I mean, there's nothing like having a letdown in the middle of um, a sexual experience that, you know, screams like, Hey, we're super, you know, like, okay, I guess we're, we're here now, you know? And I think, you know, if you don't have that, it can be really embarrassing. It can be, um, you know, sort of a, a buzzkill. But I think if you and your partner have previously established that comfort with one another, that like relaxed attitude that, you know, things are going to happen and it's okay. And we're just here, you know, for fun and for pleasure, um, that you can just sort of have fun with it and, and either laugh it off. Or like you said, some people might find it a huge turn on. Um, and if you don't, you know, like I just said, like to laugh it off or to just make it not such a big deal and not interrupt the flow of, of what's going on. Yeah. And you know, if that is, um, if that's not your thing as the breastfeeding parent, you can always just keep a nursing bra on with, um, nursing pads in there and that should take care of it. And, um, you know, that's, I think that's a really normal and common thing that probably postpartum parents do if they are uncomfortable with, um, triggering the light down during sex. So having a baby isn't the only time um, that sex can be a no-go. Um, another really common time is during infertility or right after experience in a loss of a pregnancy. So that's going to look really different than, um, you know, a sexless relationship because a baby passed through there. What's your advice for people who are struggling with infertility challenges and, you know, that's what's causing their sex life to be affected? Um, you know, I think, you know, it sort of runs similar to what we were saying. I mean, obviously, um, infertility or pregnancy loss, you know, you have a lot, um, I guess you just have sort of a different set of emotions running high, but emotions are still running high. And again, I think that that support of your partner, um, is so, so, so important. Um, you know, and then I think, with infertility and child loss or sorry, pregnancy loss in particular, um, you know, there's also that realization that the partner might be undergoing a huge host of emotions themselves and how the two of you can kind of be there for, you know, for each other that, you know, while there might not be the physical pain, there's certainly a ton of emotional pain. And I think, you know, the risk is in, um, in putting a hold on sex too long. You know, there's obviously physical reasons that you might not want to be having sex, hormonal reasons that you might not want to be having sex, and, and emotional reasons. But I think there's also a huge, huge risk in putting it to the side for too long and letting that become your new normal. Because similar to what we were saying about self-care, there can be something really, really um, loving and tender and meaningful about a sexual encounter and sometimes that's sort of just what the doctor ordered in one of those situations. I couldn't agree more. I also think that, um, you know, if you're going through infertility and you're seeing your sex life dip because of that, I couldn't encourage you more to reach out um, to a counselor um, or an infertility coach or someone who does, you know, kind of mind space work. So the couples that I work with on the infertility journey and, um, you know, the mind space work that we do there. I see so much um, progress and, and most of their breakthroughs are like 
verbally. So we are normally talking about something and you can just see it come over them, like either as an individual or as a couple, um, you can just see the pieces kind of click. Um, so I agree. I think, I think talking about that and really just feeling that closeness and that support of your partner is huge. So it's widely known that sex is a really important part of relationships for most people. And it's probably lesser known that some couples after having a baby literally cannot reestablish their sex life. Sometimes it's an emotional connection, physical connection, mental connection. It happens for various reasons really, but it does happen. What do you do? I just couldn't imagine a life without sex and I certainly would never want that for someone I care for and I even more don't want it to be associated with their path into parenthood and their birthing experience. It's just all around bad news bears. So mm. what do you do if you truly can't reestablish sex? So, I mean, I guess there's two answers. I mean, the short answer is come and see someone like me, <laughs> like, you know, really get help um, early and often, yeah. you know, really get on top of it. I think it's the kind of thing um, and again, we talked about it a little bit before, you know, there's, especially if it's your first child, there's a new baby in the house, you know, your, your world is turned upside down and it's so, so easy to put certain things to the side. But, you know, I would much rather that, um, you know, you have an extra pile of laundry in the corner, you know, or, um, you know, you're ordering pizza for supper three nights a week, then you're just kind of putting your sex life to the side. So I think, um, you know, getting help as soon as you feel like something's not right is super important. And if you are unable to get help, I think something to really keep in mind is, um, you know, habits are very quick to form. And I, you know, I work with a lot, a lot of couples that are in, um, you know, a so-called like sexless marriage. And it can be really, really tricky once you've established that kind of pattern to get back into something, um, you know, more regular and, and sexual. So what I would say is if you feel, and again, you know, you might be f feeling physically not up for it. You might just feel like your partner doesn't understand the emotional roller coaster that you're on and the stress that you're under. You know, it might be your third, fourth, fifth, or sixth kid. And, you know, you feel like the house is on wheels and you don't know what you're, you're going to do. Um, to really try to find some other ways to maintain, you know, that time for you and your partner um, or even you yourself in a sexual space, um, or as I like to say, it's kind of a, a parasexual space. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, do some touching exercises. Like there's a great, great thing that all of us couples and sex therapists love to, to give called sensate focus. And, um, you know, you don't even have to come to a sex therapist to do it. You, you know, you could Google it, but basically it's, um, you know, a series of just touching and getting, you know, re-in touch with you, your body, what feels pleasurable to you. Um, and it starts off actually in a very non-sexual way. So just, you know, having your partner um, massage your arms and legs, for example, where it doesn't have to be sexual, but it's close, it's connection, it's um, pleasure, it's physical touch. And doing exercises like that um, can be super, super helpful in just kind of giving you kind of a little stand-in until the dust has settled and you are ready to sort of get a little bit more, um, you know, sort of sexually physical. But definitely, you know, don't, don't let it fall by the wayside. Don't wait. That is what I'm hearing. Yeah, number one, listeners, do not wait. You know, I'm also a big advocate of, like, not waiting. I just think the more that you kind of push things to the bottom or push them to the wayside or push them to the back of your mind. Basically, if you're pushing it anywhere other than like out, you should be talking about it. That's like your first red flag. Like if you have to push it somewhere, why don't you push it out of your mouth? Chat, chat with somebody, right? It doesn't have to be your partner. If you're not ready to talk to them, get a counselor, call your best friend. If you don't, you know, if you don't have that relationship with any family members, then get on a mom's group. The Facebook moms will, somebody in there will support you, right? Like there's lots of people, there's lots of mean people out there too. Don't get me wrong. There are bullies every day, but there's lots of people out there who will genuinely tell you nice things and help you kind of um, 
talk through this. So you have people, you're not alone. Definitely don't push these things to the back or the bottom or the wayside or anywhere. So I think, I think, you know, one of the things that people don't really know, and also who do you ask? Where do you find this information? It's a little bit taboo. What does sex therapy look like? Um, is it, you know, do we come in and, and sit in chairs and we're talking like what people normally think about sex therapy? Do you do internal work? Are you going to watch us have sex? Like, what does sex therapy look like? Okay, well, um, what is sex therapy? Okay, so sex therapy, at least what I practice, um, is re it really looks most like um, any other kind of psychotherapy. So, you know, for example, in my office, you know, a couple or an individual will come in and um, I do have a couch and it's very comfy, but you don't have to lie on it. And people sit down and we talk. Um, you know, I always start out um, with a new client by taking a really thorough history, um, you know, sort of putting all the pieces together, coming up with, you know, a formulation of, you know, what's going on, how best can this be treated? Um, you know, what factors are at play here, and then going forward with the treatment. Where sex therapy can be a little bit different um, is, you know, in terms of the treatment stuff, I don't do anything physical. Um, I absolutely do not watch people having sex, <laughs> and I don't do any internal work, but I might say, you know, like that sensate focus that we were just talking about, the touch exercises. I might say, you know, look, here's a handout go home. I would love for you guys to do this, you know, two times this week. And when you come back, we're going to discuss it and we could sort of troubleshoot, you know, did it go well? Did it not go well? How come? Um, you know, I really help couples and individuals identify sort of what's at play here, what's going on, um, not just sexually, but, you know, one thing that I say that, you know, a lot of people might be sick of hearing me say is that, um, sex is sort of a window into the whole relationship. And so by speaking to people and by being upfront and, you know, trusting in that therapy space and that relationship with the therapist, um, you know, it really gives the therapist an opportunity to sort of see what, what more is going on a bit more globally. So I might say, you know, it seems like, um, you know, for example, you're not, um, you know, you're not exercising enough or you don't have a lot of social supports. How can you get some friends like outside of your partner and, and your children? Um, you know, or it seems like work has been super stressful. What can we do to reduce that stress? Because it really is having an effect in the bedroom or, you know, your depression or your anxiety is really trickling over into your sexual space and sexual relationship. So, um, you know, that's really sex therapy in a nutshell in terms of, you know, what I do. It's a lot of talk. It's sending them home with a few things to do um, and kind of just sort of repairing the big picture. One other thing I, I did want to mention, you know, we, we haven't talked so much about the partner today, but that's another thing to really think about is, you know, many, many partners of a postpartum woman, male or female, can begin to develop their own sexual dysfunctions or sexual issues um, as a result of, you know, for, you know, the loss of sleep, the stress of having the baby in the house, um, some of those emotions, some of the physical stuff going on. Um, and that can also, you know, I also say get help, you know, early and often like ASAP, get on that because a lot of times those little things that creep up really just snowball. And sex therapy really can sort of nip it in the bud and um, prevent it, that snowballing from happening. Wow, that's an incredible point. Yeah, so are there any, um, any red flags that you should be looking for in your partner or anything that you particularly see that kind of exacerbate that maybe um, birthing parents don't necessarily realize that they're doing but could be more conscious of? Any advice there? I think, you know, it's so, so... Um, personal and like so um, case dependent. But I think in general, you know, again, coming back to that idea of your partner is your biggest support in this. And I think it's important for the partners to know that and for the birthing parent to know that, that you, know, you all that you have at the end of the day is each other. You know, I mean, you have the, the beautiful, adorable baby too, but um, you know, that's, that's really what you have. And I agree with you that there are 
huge like social networks and support systems and people to help you. But if you are not communicating effectively with your partner, um, to me, that's bad news bears. You know, I think that what you need to do is really make sure that you have that foundation, that you have that intimate connection, that, that trust in your partner to be able to say, um, you know what, my vagina is like super hurting me right now, or um, I'm not feeling it, or just taking a male partner as an example, you know, we haven't been having sex. And I find that, um, you know, because of the six week wait, I've been masturbating a lot more and I'm relying on pornography way more than I used to. And I'm having some trouble getting an erection now that we're together. And I think, you know, hearing that is not easy to hear, but I think the fact that he was able to share that with this hypothetical person um, you know, is a real sign of their closeness. And rather than saying, you know, oh, is it me? And, you know, is it because I have this baby and you don't know what I'm going through? To say, okay, like, how can we figure this out? How can we work this out together as a couple? So again, I think that communication, that trust, that closeness is just so, so, so important. Yeah, I think a huge piece of what you pointed out is like, just being aware that your partner might have different feelings than you, right? And when they deliver things that are hard. Gosh, I mean, that's hard to tell your partner. As hard as it is to hear that, your partner, no doubt, struggled to say that to you. You know, if they really love and care about you, that is a really hurtful thing, but it needs to be said. So I think, you know, creating that like super ultra like nothing can penetrate this safe space type safe space, you know, that's just between the two of you that you can really say anything and everything based in the understanding that it's coming from a loving place and that you want to get, you know, you want to get to an end goal together. Um, I think that's huge is just, you do have to have that type of space with your partner. Um, especially if, if, you know, you're working through something as sensitive as like, trying to get your sex life back on track. That's a hard one, you know? It's hard, but I also think that, I don't know, I'm not an expert. Maybe you can actually speak to this. I would say that most couples or relationships go through periods like where their sex life is, you know, maybe not what they're used to, or they definitely want to pivot it, and they are like, this is not working. We need to find a change, you know? Right, no, totally. And that's, you know, and. And that's exactly what I'm saying. Like that, you know, that period where that postpartum period where you have the baby um, is really just like a little, little uh, preview into the future because other things are going to come up. There's going to be nights that that, you know, baby becomes like an eight-year-old with raging stomach flu all night. And, you know, and you guys are going to have other challenges to figure out. And um, you really should sort of start it early and figure out, you know, what communication style works best for you so that you, you know, that you guys can sort of continue to work as a team. So, no, I totally agree. And, um, you know, the other thing is that, you know, how I said earlier that the sex can really be a window into the whole relationship. That's another reason. So we are, you know, on the, on the topic of talking about your partner or being this team, what does sex therapy um, look like if you can't get your partner like to agree to come? Because not everybody has a partner that would be willing to go to therapy, you know, for now, but I'm on a mission to normalize therapy so that more people can see how wonderful of a support it can be in your life. Cause I just think it can literally change your life because I also believe that most people don't know how to communicate. Um, but can you do sex therapy by yourself? Yes, no, for sure. You can. Um, And, you know, I would estimate that I probably have half my practice individuals, people coming in on their own, who who usually have a partner, but just are coming in on their own. And then I also see couples. Um, You know, I guess it depends on the issue, but you certainly can do sex therapy on your own. And I would always say, like, don't let, you know, an unwilling partner get in the way of you starting therapy. You know, if your partner is on board with you starting therapy as an individual, but maybe, you know, him or herself, they don't feel comfortable coming in, I would still say, come on in, you know, that there's still much work that can be done, even as an, you know, even as um, an individual client. And of course, things also change, you know, sometimes 
when you have a couple and one person is in therapy, I always say it's like you're stirring up the soup pot and all of a sudden like the carrots and the chicken and the celery and everything starts kind of coming up and you could sort of see what's in that soup. And when that starts to happen, it kind of gives a different flavor, you know? And um, so when the individual is doing their sex therapy work or their, you know, um, psychotherapy work, they're bringing that home. And that definitely affects that dynamic and that uh, flow at home. And then, you know, either the, the partner may decide, okay, this is great. I want to come in and be a part of this. Or maybe just that little switch and that little stirring up by the individual who is in therapy is enough to kind of propel the relationship forward and, and you know, create some really positive change in the relationship. So definitely, you know, coming in as an individual is not a bad thing at all. Yeah, it kind of like changes the energy in in the relationship. That's amazing. So where can people find you if they were interested in reaching out? Um, you know, we said earlier that you were, you're located in the Boston area, but if, if people wanted to reach out to you over social media, various social media, and just follow your stuff, where would they find you? Um, probably the best place would be to go to my website, which is um, dralexchinks.com. Um, you could also email me at drchinks at dralexchinks.com um, and, you know, or give me a phone call or find me on social media, um, either on Facebook or Instagram. And that all, the, all of that is up on my website. Awesome. Well, villagers, I know that you have loved this episode just as much as I have. I hope that your sweaty palms have calmed down and your blushed faces have restored back to their original state of color after this conversation. I know that sex can be kind of a tricky topic and sometimes it's, you know, not the most comfortable topic, but I fully believe that, you know, with the work of a lot of really strong and brave people, we can bring the conversation of sex to um, a healthy one rather than a shameful and taboo topic. Thank you so much to Alex for being here and sharing all of your wisdom. As always, village members, find your tribe and love them hard. Hello, villagers. It's me again. I'm hopping on here to let you know that this is episode 99 on episode 100. It's a Friday free talk. The very next episode, I'm going to be sharing the biggest news yet from TBH. This is something that we have been working on since the beginning of 2019. This is a project that has come about from so much feedback from you, from our Facebook community, our Instagram followers, and our private clients. We're so excited to share this news with you. I can't wait for you to catch it on episode number 100, another Friday free talk. I'll see you guys on Friday. If you want to connect with us outside of the podcast before the big announcement, you can find us at The Tranquility Tribe on Facebook. Again, that's The Tranquility Tribe on Facebook. Simply answer the questions. Let me know how you found this. Let me know why you're here. And I will get you into the group. Come hang out with us, you guys. We're a special group of people. And you will fit right in. I can't wait to see you there. As always, villagers, find your tribe and love them hard. Did you know that you can join our online tribe? Our private Facebook group can be found by searching the Tranquility Tribe podcast on Facebook. And our Instagram tribe is Tranquility by Hehe. If you have a story you want to share with us, please reach out to us at tranquillitybyhehe at gmail.com. Until next time, villagers.